0: Hi, this is Dave Swartz. I'm the co-founder of Metal Mobile and Hang With, and you are hanging with the App Guy, Mr. Paul Kemp. The App Guy Podcast.
1: Straight from your
0: host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast.
1: Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. It's me, your host here, Paul Kemp. And I love this podcast because I get to meet so many great people from around the world. And, uh, you know, we've had uh, entrepreneurs, uh, authors, uh, app developers, uh, you know, a lot of interesting people. And today I'm really excited because we've got um, uh, really someone who's going to be uh, inspiring to us, I think, with his journey. Uh, his name is Bobby Gill, and he is the creator of of uh word hack it's a, an app called word hack and uh you can just uh if you just search for blue label labs or idea to appster or word hack and google and next to bobby gill you'll find that uh, that comes up but bobby it's so uh, great thanks for joining us on the app guide podcast
0: well thanks for having me uh,
1: well you know it'd be great to start off in the if you could t- give a Give us a little summary of your journey so far. You know what, what kind of led you to uh, get involved in apps.
0: All right. Uh, so I, I guess the, the the journey started a long time ago. Um, you know, I'm from Canada and I grew up there. And so I started um, fiddling with computers at a young age. And you know, I learned to program when I was in high school. Um, and so I've been you know messing around with computers for a while now. Um, my journey, I guess. Uh, from Canada, after I graduated from university, I went to Microsoft first, um, and at Microsoft, I was a program manager um, in their server and tools division and so uh, I spent four years kind of working on uh, designing and leading the, the development of these like large scale distributed enterprise systems at Microsoft, which was, it was fun, but you know after a while, it got a little bit uh, tiring um, and so in two thousand and nine, I left uh, I left Microsoft to uh, to go get my MBA. Um, I moved to New York to, to go to school here, um, and so I spent two years kind of running away from tech, thinking I wanted to go do you know other things that weren't technology. Um, but at the end of it, you know, the the separation from you know being the day to day software actually made me realize I wanted it to to get back into it. And you know, and that was around 2011. At that time, you know, the mobile technology was probably a couple years old, and you know, it seemed. You know, the interest and in the, the future was around, you know, iPhones, devices, and whatnot. And so coming out of business school uh, in 2011, I, I founded uh, Blue Label Labs, uh, a, a mobile app development company. Uh, and I wasn't alone in founding it. So one of my uh, good friends from Microsoft, uh, Jordan Guerrieri, uh, after I finished uh, business school, he decided to, to, to join me. And so together we started uh, Blue Label Labs back in 2011. Uh, and since then, you know, we've been producing you know, our own apps like Word Hack, uh, but we also develop a lot of apps for our clients. And so, we're kind of a mix of uh, a service company and a, and a company that you know d- d- still designs and puts out its own products and apps. Well,
1: what a journey is, and uh, you know, what I'm really interested in is, I guess, people listening to this are. Uh, wanting to uh, some of us want to do our own thing and we get a little bit bored mm. about uh, you know what we're currently doing uh, maybe if we take your journey from the start here at Microsoft and what was it like uh, you know working for Microsoft I mean we've heard that there are you know, it's quite performance driven there's this kind of system I believe that they had where uh, they would rank everybody and then the lowest would get kind of kicked out what was it like uh, working in a I guess quite a competitive environment.
0: It, it was actually really great. Like uh, people in, in technology don't realize how how good we have it in terms of um, how companies like Microsoft and Google and the big ones treat them. Um, and so at Microsoft, it you know they did have the stack rank, but it really was never. It's never as competitive or as. Um, uh, uh, what's the right word? Oh, much of a knife fight, as you as you kind of hear it was. It, it was. It lingered in the brain, and it wasn't necessarily the, the healthiest thing to have. But the actual environment itself was, it was really nice, and it was really accommodating to the employees. So you know, for example, I I led a an engineering team probably around ten people uh, who were designing this feature as part of the next release of the product. And uh, at the end of the day, the only thing that mattered was that if my team delivered uh, on time and it delivered, you know, a high quality feature. Uh, it didn't matter what hours I put in. It didn't matter how, you know, if I showed up to the office or not. Um, it, it really just focused on, you know, uh, the output. And it was very, very very much a, a meritocracy. Um, and so from that angle, it was like, it, it was a really good job and it was a really great environment. But uh, on the other end, you know, when you're working in, you know, large organizations, I I definitely started to feel that boredom where, you know, I had been working on the same product for almost four years. And, you know, it was still exciting, but, you know, the things I were I was doing weren't exactly, you know thrilling. You know, I wasn't working on new things or getting to explore new technologies or new products. I was kind of working on the same thing day, for, day by day and kind of regimented by that. And so, you know, I, I guess I, I, I think the, the work environment was great, but from a personal level, it was, you know, I wanted to, to go build things and actually, you know, build interesting products, try out, experiment new things and kind of set my own way. Um, and it's something, you know, that I, I think regardless of what company you work at, it's very hard to do. Um, it, you know, it's interesting,
1: because Bobby, because I happened to watch uh, last night, ironically, um, the, something on Netflix. Uh, it was The Lost Interview by Steve Jobs. And he said something mm-hmm. rather controversial in that uh, he had no problem at the time. It was back in 1995, I think this was recorded. Uh, he had no problem at the time with the success of Microsoft, but he happened to say they just didn't have taste. <laughs>
0: it, <laughs> That's true. <laughs>
1: right, okay i just wondered if... it's,
0: it's, it's hard to fight that yeah the the uh you know they, they do a lot of things well but you know they, they it takes them a while to get there and they usually you know, need inspiration from other people to get there
1: so tell us then uh what was it like when you you know you've gone away you've gone to business school you, you, you've started your own company with a co-founder what was the the first few weeks like in terms of having all these decisions to yourself and and really working for a small startup i mean to kind of take us there and try we, we would love to know what, what it felt like and, and, you know, how motivated you must have felt after being in such a large organization to suddenly have your own freedom.
0: <laughs> it, it's really scary. Uh, the, you know, starting a business and like, I, I would say for the first year, not even like the first couple of weeks, you're, you're it's touch and go, you're on life support, I guess, uh, where, you know, one day you, you think you're okay, the next day, you know, you don't know how you're going to pay your rent, or you know, you have all these things kind of falling on you, and it's you know up to you and whoever is there with you to kind of figure out um, how to get through it. So it is scary. It is it's extremely scary, and you know, I guess the only way to kind of get through it is you have to. It forces you to not worry. Like if you if you sat there and worried about you know how you're going to pay the rent or uh, how the bills are going to pay or the things you need to do, it, it would be it'd be a killer experience, and nobody would want to do it. So it, it is. Uh, on the opposite end, it was scary, but it was also kind of liberating because, you know, we are free, we're going to make our own way, and we kind of just have to believe in ourselves and that, you know, we might not know the plan, you know, it might be the start of the company, and I don't know how we're going to make our revenue, but, you know, we have faith in ourselves that we'll figure something out and it'll work out. And so, you know, for the first year, there was a lot of kind of just blind um, faith in our, in our abilities and kind of taking things day by day and not... Not worrying too much about the larger picture, just trying to get established and just trying to, you know, start to to generate some business. Um, and so, you know, even today, those still the same things kind of linger. But you know, after a time, you start to, to to get a rhythm, and you know, you have your freedom. And once you have your freedom, and you're you're able to, you know, generate some money, you're able to, you know, extend the, the life of your business. It is it just becomes better and better. Uh, in that, you know, a lot of those worry you, you learn not to worry about things and. Uh, and to kind of enjoy what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I love I love your phrase, uh, you know, taking faith in what you're doing, and I guess faith in your own skills and talent. And mm-hmm. you know, it's not as bad as when we've sort of imagine how bad it could be in terms of being responsible for our own income uh, when we're at mm-hmm. work and a, a salary. You know, you, you just before you're about to hand your notice in, you, you kind of think, oh, am I doing the right thing? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: it is. Yeah. It's, uh, lucky for me, I had business school in between. Um, leaving Microsoft and starting the company, and so I I walked away from the salary, but I was also kind of saying, I'm going to go, like, it's, nobody's going to think that, like, I'm totally, you know, jumping ship here. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go to school, get a degree, so it kind of smoothed the transition for me. Um, Well, for my co-founder, though, he he, he definitely had a much more abrupt transition from, you know, a good Microsoft salary to, you know. a not so
1: good out salary <laughs> right. so you know the other thing that's interesting now so you've, you've started the company blue label labs and i'd be interested in know to sort of know how tough it can be uh, building apps for other clients there must have been a real steep learning curve in not not from the technical side of things but just the uh, you know i guess the hassle you get from clients when you're trying to build the, the apps for them
0: Right. Yeah, it is. The client service is you know it's a double edged sword where you know it's it's you know it pays the bills like it's the it's what our business is. But on the other end, you you're in client service. You kind of have to deal with your clients and uh, you know respond to what they need. So I guess f- from us from like day one, um, we didn't take a we didn't take any clients on until we had built a few apps ourselves. Um, a, a, of various different sorts, and had the experience both from the technical as well as kind of from the the design and the user experience uh, aspect as to you know what kind of constitutes a good app versus a bad app, how to kind of approach the different types. And so we, the first co- the first clients we took on, we you know they were very much we were very selective, where we would only take on clients who um, had projects which you know we thought were within our scope, which kind of resembled things we had done before, so that you know we didn't bite off more than we can chew or overpromise. Um, to a client. Um, And so I think even till now we're still very selective in in who we work with because we want to make sure the the clients we take on know what they want, they have an idea of kind of what they want the output to be so that, you know, they give us enough parameters for us to actually go out there and meet what they, uh, and produce a product that they actually want and, and, you know, satisfy them. And so it's it's you got to resist the temptation to just you know take whatever deal is in front of you or whatever client shows up but rather make sure that it's a a good fit from both ends
1: yeah no that's, that's fascinating because you know we do have people listening who have, have built their own apps and it has they haven't worked out as successful as they'd wanted them to be i mean all of us you know strive to build our own apps and and basically have that as the sole income but uh, inevitably what happens is uh, you know we we don't get enough income and then we start to build apps for others and I think you're right in saying that we've got to be selective. How, I mean, how difficult can that be? I mean, are you literally what uh, walking away from potential app opportunities because you think it's beyond the scope of, of what you'd rather do?
0: Yeah, at the start, yeah, that's one of the reasons. That the, the first, again, first year too two, I, we, we were very cautious in the projects we took on because, you know, we didn't want to, like the worst case scenario would be to damage our brand by having like a, uh, a bad client experience where, you know, we promised to build something and, you know, for some other reason we couldn't build it or we couldn't build it to the quality we wanted to. Um, and so that, you know, the priority for us was, you know, we, we want to make sure that people uh, will, you know, tell their friends and tell other people that, oh, you should go work with Blue Label. Those guys know what they're doing. Um, so we protected our, and we still do protect our reputation very closely. And so we've walked away from many deals. Like the first year we walked away from a lot. And the reason the first year was primarily we didn't feel we, we could take it on. Um, then since then, the second and even uh, the third years, uh, we still do walk away from, you know, a lot of opportunities, but mainly now it's it's not so much, you know, our confidence and our ability to execute, which, you know, at this point, you know, the most apps, we, we're confident we can do them. It's now more so on the, the client side, making sure that you know, the client actually knows what they want, that they're going to be somebody you can work with that's not going to be somebody who's going to, you know, change their mind every 10 minutes or, you know, not be like a good partner in terms of us being a development shop um, and so you know we've had examples where we've gone very far into kind of like the, the closing process and at the end we 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 walk away because we're just not comfortable with the client because you know we think either they're they're going to change their mind that you know they're not going to they don't know what they want um, or you know we think you know it's going to be a, a huge hassle working with them because you know they they they're not kind of the way they, they think the process is going to work isn't really aligned with how we actually work. Um, and so that's another very important thing for us is to make sure that it's a good fit.
1: Uh, hopefully um, it's okay. We can so. just uh, drill down a little bit on this selection process because for me personally, yeah. you know, I've had clients where, I mean, the warning signs are they, they really try and hammer you down on uh, price, like price negotiation. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, do, do you have any tips for us to kind of, I guess, I mean we'd love to know partly your selection process. You know, what what advice could you give to us? Uh, what, because we do have opportunities that come and some of us do take those opportunities because we think about the money <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very important that we have to be reminded about the brand and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it'd be good to understand uh, what, what sort of you look for in terms of things to uh, warning signs or flags, you know, that, that are potentially uh, right. bad clients.
0: Right, I, I think you know one, and one, the obvious one as you bring up is you know if the person is just hammering on price, you know that's not that's not that's not great. But you know it's still you know that that's you know we we'll, we we'll, are okay. You know I won't we won't walk away from a, a client who's you know just wants the best deal as long as it still makes uh, sense from our end. Um, I guess the the warning signs that usually come out is when we are going through like the legal paperwork where we're where we're talking about you know uh, you know performance goals, scale goals. Um, design changes, how we're going to require them, um, IP transfer, and, and we, we kind of, they're all part of our standard service agreement, um, but you know, we, we start, as there's more interaction, as there's the back and forth as you talk about and you get a sense of, you know, how much of a stickler they are for the various clauses, how much, um, what their answers are are very telling. I think a, a great example um, from last year, as uh, we, were, we were talking with a client, you know, we, we had been going back and forth over the legal the legal paperwork for weeks where they were saying that they had a lawyer on their end. And it was very much, you know, they, they would come back with very, a lot of changes which were you know, somewhat superficial that you're just like, why are we doing this? Um, but then there's also some very telling questions and answers that came out of that that really set up some red flags. Um, an example was you know, we were talking about what, what we would design for the scale requirements and, and the, the performance requirements for this app. Um, And, you know, I I asked them, how many users uh, do you want to support on this app? And they're like, 10,000 users. And I'm like, okay, 10,000 users. Um, I'm like, are you sure it's 10,000 users or something less or something more? And then they they actually came back and said, actually, it's 10,000 concurrent users. Um, And and that really started to to set up the flags because, you know, we're building this MVP here and they're... They're thinking that you know, right out of the gate, they're going to have 10,000 concurrent users, and they want us to design for that. Um, you know, just for example, the healthcare.gov, like the, the healthcare website here in the U.S., it has 50,000. It supports 50,000 concurrent users, which is you know is only five x of their requirement. Right, okay. But you know, that's like a, that's a billion dollar project. Uh, and, and so for me, like when when those type when those type mm. of questions and answers started going forth, you know, just it was like they're not. They're not in the same world as we are. Yeah, the
1: expectations um, are way way off. And uh, yeah,
0: yeah. And so we wouldn't sign up. Like I wouldn't sign up our engineering team to like to, to say we're going to build you something that's going to support ten thousand concurrent users, not at you know the prices we're working at. Um, and so yeah, the, these negotiation process. The longer it takes, you know, the more back and forth you go over them, the the more chance we both have to kind of think about whether you know you want to get into this.
1: Actually, Bobby, one of the things that came up in a recent episode is uh, the. Oh, the pain point of uh, quoting and the quotation mm-hmm. system. Um, oh yeah. It, it, how how um, how much does that eat into your, uh, I guess, uh, net profit when you think about the time that you have to invest in uh, putting together a quotation? Uh, ultimately, it may not come to anything.
0: Right. It does. It's it's a. Uh it's uh it does eat it. like business development you know it, it ate up a lot of our time me and my co-founder's time for the first uh, couple of years because there was always a lot of inbound traffic we always get emails from people saying hey i want to build this app you know xyz um and then we would spend you know you'd have probably a call or two talking about them and then you know a couple of hours later going through the quotation process to you know think about the problem and come up with a quote only to have them you know either not have the budget or you know not even respond and just Kind of walk away, and so for us, you know, we as we've grown, you know, we've we brought on somebody to kind of help on the, the business development side in terms of handling the the inbound leads and you know creating the RFPS and talking to the clients. Um, so, so to help us uh, manage a lot of the the, the inbound leads um and so
1: well let's talk about those inbound leads because obviously that's a very important subject for us you know indie app developers business owners we, we would love to know any advice that you can give us with regards to uh, generating inbound leads so, uh, you know for example are you using paid uh, p- paid ads uh, or social media you know perhaps you can give us some guidance that would be so helpful
0: uh yeah in terms of our inbound leads a lot of it um comes through our main website, you know, Blue Label Labs. And it's not, we found that you know Google AdWords and you know, spending all money on the search terms, either you know, on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Google, hasn't really uh, converted for us in terms of really getting us much in the much in the way of leads. Um, most people who do come, you know, who come to us inbound, you know, find us through the website. Uh, our website we just recently redesigned to actually be, be, be more, much more centric on you know, the call to action and be designed so that you know, somebody who comes there is very easily led to the contact form. Uh, and that in of itself, having good organic SEO, um, we spent a, a lot of time kind of building up inbound links, making sure that we rank well for certain keywords uh, that we want, um, and that's taken a long time. And you know, we're still not, I'm still not happy with our, our, our SEO uh, scores or whatnot, but I, we do find that most people do find our site organically. Um, and from there, you know, the, the traffic, you know, some percentage of them use the contact form and they're in our sales funnel. Are you
1: doing Um, a lot of content marketing or, you know, like in terms of bringing people to your website?
0: We do, we, we have a, we have a, we do guest blogging, um, on a lot of different sites. Um, we, we also do some links from the, the idea to Appster site back to, to the blue label lab site. Um, And so we try to stay active in terms of producing and getting new links um, on a continuous basis Um, and and that's been much more of a, uh, like the ROI on that, you know, it takes longer but has been much more defined than, you know, paid. Uh, avenues which haven't really worked out that great for like an app development service yeah
1: the, the real painful thing about paid is that you pay for it then when you, you stop paying for it it dries up immediately <laughs> so
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah it's weird at least it, it distorts yeah. your field uh,
1: i've had is i've had a wonderful experience with uh, seo recently because I've, I've been online for quite a few years and i've, I've been uh, you know doing seo and um, re- recently uh, I've, I've been doing seo for podcasts for example and uh, picking keywords uh, from Google like App Store and iStore and all these different uh, high... Uh, high. So App Store, oh, I think it has something like 400,000. Uh, uh, actually, let me give you this example. iStore, for some reason, uh, has 200,000 uh, searches per month and is quite competitive. Mm. Um, it's, it's really hard to rank for that on Google. So I decided to um, put that into an episode of the App Guy podcast and I put the, the word iStore into my mm-hmm. podcast and I ranked above the fold almost immediately with only one of the podcasts. Oh wow. So <laughs> wow.
0: That's that's a really good uh SEO hack. There,
1: right? yeah, it was uh, it was, uh yeah, I was jumping around thinking this would never happen on Google and, and here I am literally within ah <laughs> oh, it must it was it was really like within a few hours uh up there in iTunes. Uh and you know iTunes is obviously a big search engine as well as Google. So uh
0: mm-hmm. it it is. It's a it's a it's a mystery uh like in terms of getting SEO right and doing the things that, that get you ranked well, because like it's very hard to do and it's not all entirely explainable when things happen like this. Um, and so it's I the only the one thing I've come to kind of learn from the whole SEO process is you know not it, it's very hard to game and it's very hard to to kind of just pay your way or buy your way to to, to the, the rankings that you want. That at the end of the day, it, it's uh, it's it's link building. It's you know having good content and having those links. As much as I hate to kind of say it, how much of a uh, as a non-answer that is uh, the more I do it the more I believe that, that that is actually the only
1: answer no I believe you as well I mean uh, it all changed for me when I started just to put real content up and uh, yeah I think that's you, could, you kind of almost have to uh, you, can, uh, you can't game it can you now I mean Google have, have cha- changed so many times and uh, uh, right and all these uh, the big platforms they, they come so. and they stamp you up <laughs> yeah. yeah they're even looking right. at so guest like, blogging oh. which is a little bit of a concern but uh.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that. This year's uh, topic, du jour is that you know, guys blogging might not be the thing that uh, you should be doing.
1: So,
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see what else can get us some links. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, well, this is the App Guy podcast. We love talking about apps, and uh, you know, we've got to talk about, I guess, your experience with Word Hack. Is this your latest app that you've, you, your own?
0: Yeah, it's our. It's the latest blue label app, and so you know, it's a it's a simple word game. Um, that's a it's a twist to to Hangman and Wheel of Fortune. Uh, and so we've been developing this one for the last four, four months or so. Um, and it's currently in limited release uh, in Canada, uh, the UK, and Australia. And so we're, we're in the process of rolling it out across the world. And uh, it's, uh, it's our latest app. And you know, like we're, we're, as we're speaking right now, we still haven't released it in the U.S. Uh, we're planning on a, a U.S. launch uh, sometime next month. Uh, but we've been spending uh, this month and a little bit of last month just... Um testing in various markets and you know iterating the game, iterating our marketing so that we don't when we we do hit the big the big u s market that you know we're, we're a lot more buttoned up and uh, you know we can really invest in there and actually hope for some pretty good results
1: Oh, I see so you're almost looking at the u k and other markets uh, as like a t- as a test run before then you hit the u s yeah okay yeah
0: right yeah we've been uh we've been investing we've been doing a lot of marketing in Canada. And so Canada has actually been a really good test market for us because it resembles a lot uh, the United States. Uh, it's a smaller population, but using like Facebook mobile app installs, um, even like RevMob and some other things, we're able to kind of just target Canada. Uh, and then we've been running various campaigns to kind of see which marketing message is resonating most with people, what's generating the most uh, installs at like the lower rate. And so like it, it's been actually, I'm really glad we've done that because we, we've gained a lot of insight into Kind of who plays the game, who we should be targeting uh, and kind of not only getting the feedback from those users, but, you know, making the uh, the marketing message much more more crisper and focused. Um, So, yeah, the the Canada has been like a a really good uh, petri dish for us.
1: That's a great idea. I mean, we all just sometimes rush to launch the app worldwide. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we've had guests on before. I'm thinking of um, a previous guest, Andreas uh, Cabanis. And uh, he, he partnered with um, someone who had a rather big list, and uh, there was like a there was a teaser beforehand, and uh, you know there was a build up to that. There was basically a launch sequence, and so that when mm-hmm. the, the app was launched, uh, and he was saying that we can actually um, use promo codes before the app is even approved by Apple, which I thought was quite interesting. Right. Um, yeah, you can. And also, I mean, word hack. I mean, we, we had uh, the. Uh, Uh, App developer for uh, one of the founding engineers at Boca, an app development firm. And he'd written an app uh, a few years ago now called uh, Scrib Battle, which I think was a kind of a wordy type game. But he said in its prime, it was getting about 200,000 downloads a day. Um, So, yeah, there's there is huge appetite for word type uh, apps. And uh, I know Mm -hmm. this is going to be good for you. And I hope, you know, be good to, I guess, get you back on at some later date to see how the launch went for you in the U.S. And and oh, what absolutely. we could learn from you yeah i would love to talk about that uh is before i mean we're getting towards the end of the podcast i'm just wondering we, we typically ask our guests to highlight some pain point in their business we would love to try and flesh out another app idea or two uh, i mean it's worth asking do you have any app ideas you're willing to share with us uh, if not then we can talk about a pain point in your business and we'll try and work out an app idea
0: Let's talk. Let's talk about the the pain point. I, I don't have like a, an app idea off the, the
1: top of top of my head. Yeah. Okay. So, like, if you think about over the last uh, I don't know month or two, what's been one of the biggest or frustrations that you can think of in your business, and uh, you know something that either uh, I don't know, just a, a pain point, a real pain point that, that maybe we could then try and flesh out a solution that could be an app.
0: Interesting. Um, I guess the the, the biggest uh, the pain point for us is in terms of managing or, and getting good visibility into our, our sales pipeline. Um, we have a, a bunch of people you know who are in various stages of um, closing or becoming a client, but it, it's a very it's a very slow, drawn out process that doesn't let us really get any kind of predictability on when is it going to happen and when you know revenue we, is going to hit the books. So you know this has been a very real problem for us since you know the first day but it, even till today you know 3 years into this um it is by far the the largest problem is that you know it's very hard to kind of know uh you know which 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 leads are are going to close when they're going to close and who we should be kind of investing our time in uh versus you know the, the people who who we shouldn't be
1: yeah it's, it's interesting because i'm thinking back now to a very early episode that we had with um a business owner of a franchise but he said when he bought the franchise uh, one of the biggest benefits of having a franchise is he knew within i think within literally two thousand dollars or so what his monthly income was going to be before he even started his business and it was incredibly right. incredibly accurate and he said what a difference that made to planning out budgeting because he knew the revenue streams and they were all pretty pretty accurate and i said to him at the time this is one of the hardest things um, being an app developer especially building apps for others is that uh, it, it's very hard to predict and wouldn't it be great to have, you know, some collection of data, or some some mm-hmm. sort of way that we could try to predict a, a flow of revenue from other, uh, you know, from these leads and and almost like have a franchise type model, and we could roll out.
0: Mm-hmm. It would be, yeah, it's, it would be, it'd be, you know, it's I guess the holy grail for us. Um, you know, the, the franchises benefit kind of from the fact that they have, like, the parent company doing all this research and, you know, spending the time to go out there and figure out everything and, and getting the math right for us, you know, since they're so much smaller. It's, it's very hard to because, you know, we, 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 can't go, we can't afford to go out there and do all this customer research. Uh, and so we're kind of left to, uh, you know, our own devices and, you know, what we have.
1: Well, there you go. Uh, for all those of you listening, uh, if we could have, please, big data for app developers. So a collection of every uh, everyone who builds apps for others, a collection of their data, and then an, uh, all pulled together. And then we could try and derive from that uh, predicted revenue streams from uh, the number of uh, inquiries that we have. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. That's the start. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's just been fascinating. I, I've really, really enjoyed this, Bobby. Um what, how best can we connect with you? I mean, I'm sure you've inspired me. I'm, you're going to inspire a lot of people listening to this. How best can we reach out and connect to you?
0: Uh, emailing me is uh, probably the best way um, at uh, bobby at uh, and that's, you know that, that hits my phone right away. And so, you know, I'm, I try to respond to every email I get. So you know, if you have questions or whatnot, feel free to, to, uh, to reach out to me
1: so i'm going to encourage everybody to go and uh, search now on their phones for word hack is that uh, android and iphone
0: no it's just a uh, iphone and it currently is only available in canada uh, the uk uh, and australia
1: yeah and by, so. by the time this goes out it will probably be available in the us as well I should think so uh, certainly okay yeah for you listening go out download it give us a you know give bobby a review uh a good review and uh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> There's all those. That's one of the biggest. Um, I think the challenges is to, to get reviews. But it seems really hard oh, yeah. to, to get you know people to actually review uh, apps.
0: It is. Yeah, it's one. Of, it's a very and now every time you update the app, it kind of resets all your reviews. So you have to go get everybody to go review it again. It's very. It's again one. Of, it's really hard work. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I tell every member of my family after every release, can you go review, can you go <laughs> review the app again? <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely, Bobby. It's been a thrill. And uh, yeah, you're welcome back anytime. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the App Guy podcast. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at one dot com. The App Guy Podcast.